Nay, this is H1. We're going to be running it back with another episode. Talking about chess knowledge, chess wisdom, and chess understanding. And I know what you might be thinking. I know what you might be thinking. What title did you just give me? Why I stopped playing gambits and chess? What's wrong with a gambit? What's wrong with just wanting to attack my opponent? Isn't that what you teach to be aggressive? Well, H1 has some news for you. And it's very important to listen to this because this is my own experience of playing gambits. And you can take it or leave it. It's opinionated, of course. It's my experience. Everybody has different personalities. Don't don't be that person. Just listen to my side and my point of view and just get why I'm like this, okay? Another note, this is going to be a fun conversation, and if you do not know what a chess gambit is, let me just tell you right quick. A gambit is a chess opening in which a player sacrifices material with the aim of achieving a subsequent positional advantage. So, it usually happens in the opening, like the Queen's Gambit, or the Morphe Gambit, or the Evans Gambit. Those gambits are something where you have to sacrifice a piece for a specific advantage. So, sit back and relax, enjoy this chess knowledge, chess wisdom, chess understanding, and, hey, you know, ha- have you a couple good ones, like like a drink or something, you know, relax, a cold glass of water, you know what I mean, have it on the side, drink that mug a little bit, sip on it, you know what I mean, eat some potato chips, you know what I mean, okay, okay, I got gotcha. you. Next segment. should I begin? I don't ever know, but I know I'm H1, and I know I should begin somewhere since I've been doing this for a while now. Man, it's crazy. We're already on the fifth season, but anyway, let's just begin in here. I used to love playing gambits, and just to tell you this time period, this was the time period after I got done with my fixation on the double fee and kettle opening, and I used to love gambits because I used to watch old grandmasters play gambits and get these amazing attacks all the time, especially watching Mikhail Tall or Evans and Bobby Fischer and so many more grandmasters just play these gambits like they knew it and they loved it and they got these fascinating attacks. And I came to the conclusion at a very young age that at the start of my chess journey, that in order for me to get amazing attacks, I have to start playing chess gambits. So, I can de- <clears throat> I can definitely say that this sidetracked me. Because as I got older, I realized that playing gambits just isn't my style. I think every chess player in their journey gets fascinated about attacking their opponents like Mikhail Tall. But, in my experience... It's really hard to be somebody you're not. And a lot of that happens in chess, where you try to be something that you're not. And your game shows for it. There's a reason why there's positional players, there's or there's people that likes to calculate, and then there's intuitive players, 
there's a difference and there's a reason why people stick with one opening and that opening. Not everybody can be Magnus Carlsen and play every single opening. You have to be in like the top 10 to be able to do that. And to do it successfully too because that's a lot of variations to know. And you're supposed to know these personalities. You're supposed to know how to switch from attacking to defending and being intuitive and all this other crap. Because chess is it's such a big world. It's so big. And it's unfair for us little guys to have a dang job. A 9 to 5 job. <laughs> it's so hard. But I digress. So, I've been at multiple chess camps. Right? And I was forced. Not by my own choice. Because I didn't know what Gambus was at all. I was stuck purely on the double fianchetto. The double fianchetto was my gravy, okay? It was my biscuits and gravy. I I don't know the saying, okay? It was my gravy, and I liked it, and it was something that I could do it comfortably over the board, and I was getting a lot of wins too, but I noticed, I noticed something very distinct that when I played stronger opponents, they would demolish me. And it was probably because of my tactics. But, hey, I was a kid. I didn't know any better. So I was like, man, I need to learn something else. So let me start playing E4. And then I realized that every chess player played E4. And they played these Roy Lopez type of positions because everybody knew it. And I wasn't being nothing different. But I was still getting wins. But it would take longer. And it was uncomfortable. So at this chess camp... All they taught was chess gambits. Now, I practiced different openings before, like the Evans Gambit and the Danish Gambit for a short period of time. I know the the Danish Gambit is kind of risky. And then I stumbled on the best Gambit in the world. And let me explain. The Evans Gambit is pretty good. I think... Yeah, there was a game by one of the top grandmasters, the elite grandmasters, with the Evans Gambit. And it was demolishing. It was insane. For real. So I'm not saying that gambits are bad. I'm saying, in my personal experience, how I see things, since I look at the top games very, very often, they usually use it as like a surprise weapon. There's only a few grandmasters that use it regularly. Like... There's one Grandmaster. I think his name is um, Tamor Gareev. Um, He used gambits a lot. A lot of surprise openings to get his opponents off guard. Even though he might have a disadvantage in the opening. Even though the computer's not on his side. It's just a psychological thing to get your opponent off track of the normal. Okay? But, for me... Yeah, the, the Evans Gambit was really good. The Evans Gambit is good. So I'm not calling that trash. There are some trash of Gambits and openings. If you want me to make a whole episode about that, I can't. But in my opinion, I already have my best Gambit, the best opening. And I have my opinion as H1 because I used it. I defeated players on it. Strong players when I was on chess.com with my old account. Okay. And this opening is called the Max Lang Attack. Is it a gambit? I don't know. Because sometimes I have to morph into like the, the Morphe's Gambit sometime with the Max Lang Attack. But I loved playing the Max Lang Attack. I, I sacrifice a pawn. 
and I not only got activity, but a chance to attack my opponent's king if they didn't know any better. It was surprisingly good. Like, really good. And my opponent would look at this like, what's, what's going on? And they never played the openings before. They never played the variation before. But they will just think that they're doing something special. Which I would be like, they're not. Because I already knew all this stuff like 10 moves ahead. And then I'll get this opening. And then it was really good. And that's what would happen. I'll get pretty decent compensation. And this was around 2008, 2010. It wasn't, I wasn't playing like really good players. I was playing online and things of this nature. And online, I was like between 1400 and 1600, but I really liked playing it. It was doable. It was good. Now, I can't promise you it's playable now because this is like a decade later. And YouTube wasn't that big. And chess coach, online courses wasn't that big. And I was in middle school. I knew I found the right opening to attack my opponents. Then, I don't know about now. Okay, then I studied the max length attack at that chess camp. I studied it for a whole week. And I wasn't a pro. But afterwards, I had the confidence of a grandmaster. (laughs) You already know, H1 always brings the confidence. I had that confidence as a young boy too. So... Actually, after the chess camp, we had a really uh, strong player that was also a boxer, too. But he came to do a simo with all the kids at the chess camp. And it was divided, like middle school and elementary school. And all the kids was just um, around the, the grandmaster. We all had our tables, had our chessboard. It was like 40, I think like, I'm probably over-exaggerating. It's probably like 30 kids, right? 30 kids. This dude doing a Simo, he was a strong player. I, I don't know what rating he actually was. I'm just going to guess that he was an expert or maybe like a, a chess master because he was really strong. He was pretty good. And I was a part of the Simo, even though I was a bit stronger than the rest. And I can say that because I played the rest and they wasn't really that strong. Now, the boxer didn't want to play my new opening. And this is how I knew it. When he first came to my table, I did my first move, he did his move, and then I did my second move when he came around the second time, and then I did, then he did his move. And then as he came around like the fifth time, he knew exactly what I was doing and he knew what opening I was doing. So this is what happened. It's actually pretty funny. He, we gonna just call him the boxer. The boxer didn't want to play my new opening. So... He wanted to ignore it and to decline the opening. But the coordinator of the camp forced him to play it. <laughs> forced him to play it since that was the only thing I was training, even though I was up for a real game too. Like, we didn't have to play. But the, the chess camp director was like, ah, you got to play this opening. This is, this is what he learned. And so he played my opening and he got annihilated. Because I was training so hard. Because I had a full week of just training how to be better. Eight hours a day in this opening. Facing computers. Different variations. Seeing Grandmaster games in this opening. And I annihilated the crap out of them. I think it was it was under 25 moves. I wish I would have like notated it down. But it was crazy. It was sick. And then after the chess camp. I thought I could beat 
anybody. So I tested it out um, online. And then I realized something. Some card-hearted truths about playing chess gambits. And guess what? I will explain them in the next segment. This is the waiting room segment. Chess jokes by H1. And the joke of today is, it's not true that the inventor of chess is unknown. Chess was invented by Chuck Norris when he roundhouse kicked the tree into little pieces. And those pieces are now known as king, queen, rook, Thank you for listening. Now, the most interesting thing why you came here. The reason why I stopped playing Gambit. The reason why I stopped playing Max Lang Attacks. And as H1, I'm going to be completely honest and blunt. Now, this is one of the reasons. The first reason is the majority of chess players decline the gambits. And now I'm one of those chess players. (laughs) You can decline every single gambit. And I know like some people be like the only true way to face a gambit is to defeat the gambit itself and accept it. But I'm like, if I'm more comfortable declining a gambit, why should I even go into it? Like when I could decline it and have a normal, simple game. Like for example, okay. Okay. I'm not a grandmaster, but let's say a 2,500 grandmaster is going against this kid that's like, I don't know, 1700, right? You know what's the most fearful to be against a kid that's 1700? A kid that knows his tactics, right? Or her tactics. And kids, they soak that crap up, right? And so if a kid tried to face me as some type of gambit, let's say, what's that one gambit? Um... I don't know. Let's let's decline the king's gambit, right? We're going to decline that mug. I'm most fearful from that kid known as the king's gambit and all the moves. So why would I go into the gambit, risk my rating points, and risk my insanity to try to defeat this kid? Especially when I don't know the recent knowledge of how to accept the king's gambit and be okay afterwards. You know what I mean? So it just makes sense to just decline the dang gambit and just be like everybody else. Like, just decline the gambit so that you can have a regular game. Doesn't it make sense? Do you see where I'm coming from? And yeah, I learned in my opening repertoire, I learned how to decline every single gambit comfortably. So when you come at me with a gambit, in which I do the Sicilian, they try to do the C, the the d4 sacrifice with c3 i'm like nah bro i'm doing knight f6 
and guess what i'm not yeah take that pawn back i don't i don't want you to have development like get that mess out of here why would i accept your gambit when that puts me in an uncomfortable state and that gets you more comfortable because you're you're cool with attacking people because people that use gambits once you accept it you get into their playing field and you know what by me declining it i'm getting them back into normality into my playing field so no yeah nah everybody declines gambits and just imagine me learning this in middle school with no coach so i was in let me see what grade was i in i was it was between sixth grade and seventh grade right just trying to play the evans gambit the danish gambit and things of this nature and people kept on declining or even worse they would do this stupid king's indian defense position like uh, it sucks it sucks when people do that when they're not fighting for the middle they're not fighting for the center because you know they're going to counter attack in, in the center a few moves later and so i've realized as i got stronger people started declining stuff so then I stopped studying the gambits, and then my mind was like, well, let me just stop doing the gambits forever so that I can move on with my life. So that's what I did. I figured out later on in life that I wasn't meant to be a relentless attacker since nobody wanted to be relentlessly attacked in the first place. You know what I mean? And guess what? Guess what else I found out? Not everybody is an attacker. And I realized this because... When I did a gambit, I wasn't confident in my play when I was down a piece or a couple pawns, even though I had sufficient compensation. You know what's more depressing? <laughs> you know what's depressing? I already told you what's depressing in the last episode. Losing the game you could have won. And most of the games that I could have won was like this fascinating tactical idea from a gambit that I would have never found in my level. And I had no coach to, t- to tell me or to teach me. So I had to learn this myself. And I'm like, why am I stressing about this? Let me just forget all about this. <laughs> and just, and not, this is clearly uncomfortable for me. I'm more of a positional player. So let me just go in my role as a positional player. Let me be like these people like Botvinnik or uh, I know Gary Kasparov was a, a great attacker, but he was also a positional player too. Karpov, Magnus Carlsen is definitely a great positional player. Fabiano Caruana. And they knew how to switch it from positional to attacking really quickly. And I feel like that I can do that nowadays more than ever. But back then, I was horrible. I just wanted to have a normal position. And I didn't realize that yet, but because I was trying to be like Mikel Taw instead of like, I don't know, um, Steinitz. You know what I mean? <laughs> I'm trying to be somebody who I'm not. And so, yeah, I guess that was the second thing that I, I realized that that wasn't my personality. The third thing is most gambits aren't played by the top elite grandmasters repeatedly. Now, notice that's Notice me saying that. I'm going to say that again so that you can get it. Most gambits are played by the top elite grandmasters repeatedly, like as their main repertoire. Because they usually use it as surprise openings or for faster time control. And this is from what I've seen. 
And not a lot of elite grandmasters play gambits in classical time controls. Like the only grandmaster that I've seen that have played a gambit or a risky opening in in classical time controls was Tamar Gareev, and he's a really fun player. I like I like watching his games. I don't even know if he know who's I, who I am, but yeah, I like I like seeing his games. It's really interesting. But when I noticed this, I was like, okay, bet. So I started playing the Queen's Gambit religiously. <laughs> and for you people who don't know what the Queen's Gambit is, it's I don't even know why it's called a Gambit anymore. Because it's not really a Gambit unless they everybody declines the Queen's Gambit. And even when it's accepted, it's not really even sacrificing a, a pawn for the dang um, a, a time advantage or whatnot. You get the pawn back. You get the material back pretty easily. And so, I don't ever know why it's called a Queen's Gambit, but Elite Grandmasters play it all the time. And that's what I started doing. I started playing boring openings, but I realized that I needed some dynamic play to get more wins. And then I went into the Catalan. And then, yeah, I started loving the Catalan because I had the option. I had the option for it to be risky or not. And it was interesting to have that type of power. And it was such a solid, good opening. I know who who played who played the Catalan. Um, um, Liren. Dang it, I forgot his name. But there's a lot of grandmasters that play the Catalan, and it's really interesting seeing those games how they can control the position very clearly, and it's high quality chess like the Catalan. The Roy Lopez and um, just more openings, high quality openings like that. The Sicilian and the C3 variations, the Grand Prix attack. I, I don't know. Whatever you want to play. I like those high quality openings that don't really begin with risk that I don't want to take. Okay. And I started gearing towards those. Now, I know it's not for everybody, but it's definitely for me, okay? It's definitely for me, and if you want to learn what opening is for you, I would suggest go to my other episode that talks about chess openings, okay? Go to that episode, come back here, and then be like, I get what you're saying, H1. Fourth thing, as a weak player at that time, I finally had a chance of not losing in the position the first 15 moves of the game so what started happening was there was a lot of variations that i had to learn and i had all these gambits in mind that i want to do and i didn't have that knowledge that i should start targeting one opening the one repertoire so i was doing like the queen's gambit the danish gambit the gore gambit the this gambit and i was just doing each one instead of just studying one and i lost within like the first 15 moves it was depressing like looking at the games on the computer i'm like i'm already losing there i'm already minus two points how oh i did that one move so that one move just costed my whole position Oh, was that a sharp variation or something? And it was a sharp variation. And I didn't understand the concept of that because I wasn't strong enough to understand yet. And so when you're beginning chess, 
I feel like that it's more complicated to start out with a gambit even though you want a good attacking play, you're gonna mess up very horribly and then you're gonna cost yourself a win or or maybe a prize fun at a tournament. You know how depressing that feels? It's, it's, a, it's a lot more depressing than you think, <laughs> like for real, okay? So I realized that and I was like, okay, I gotta change, this can't happen anymore. And that's when I started going to more solid openings. I, I went through my phase of the French defense and I started hating that opening. So I went to the Carol Con and then I, I actually love the Carol Con. I love the Carol Con because it was simple. I could make it interesting if I wanted to. I can cast on the queen side and whatnot. But yeah, then I changed to the Sicilian. And yeah, I, I love the Sicilian. Not the. Not the more sharp Sicilian, not like the dragon variation, but something more simple, like the, sh I can't even say the name, the Schnefferkopf. <laughs> I think that's what it's called. <laughs> oh man, I think that's what it's called. You know what I mean, all you veteran chess players that's listening to this. And then, um, lastly, I think I already went over this, but um, my fifth reason why I stopped playing Gambit is that I just realized that the Queen's Gambit is the only acceptable Gambit. And that should definitely be a quote for eternity. Pretty much. So if you're looking for any type of Gambit that you get free like initiative, free time, free space, and, it, and it's a solid opening that is played by top elite Grandmasters, the Queen's Gambit is the only acceptable gambit in my book. Okay? So, what happened after I stopped playing gambits? My rating skyrocketed. It skyrocketed after I stopped playing gambits. And it was interesting because I didn't want to let go of that fighting spirit. But then, I had to. And it, it, and it took a while to find what openings I like because I even started playing the English and the English opening was so boring but then I realized I got more wins so that's when my chess rating finally reached over 1700 at the time and I was finally getting what I wanted was more wins ultimately and I found out that my personality is kind of like Ash and Sarah <laughs> <laughs> oh man but yeah that's that's what happened and I, I feel like that a lot of people should try that instead of just going for these fantasy match of the century type of games which sadly won't happen it won't happen and hopefully this episode changed your life for the better hopefully you can repeat this and be like dang h1 you own the something there. I took Gambit so out of my opening, except for the Queen's Gambit. And my rating skyrocketed. And then I'll be like, yes, I told you. And I'm glad you improved. I'm glad you improved. This is the waiting room segment. 
just quotes by H1. And the quote of today is, I am convinced the way one plays chess always reflects the player's personality. If something defines his character, then it will also define his way of playing. By Vladimir Kravnik. Thank you for listening. Hey, this is H1, and I'm glad that you can just sit here and listen to me. This was pretty awesome. This was a pretty awesome episode, and I like doing episodes like this because I get to talk about stories from my personal experience. But if you like this, um, if you want to support me in any type of way, I don't know exactly what platform you're on, but if you're on Spotify or Apple Podcasts or any other podcast like Outcast or something, they either have a follow button or a subscribe button. And if you want to support me, just hit that follow or subscribe so that you can be notified about all of my episodes. Every single one. And if you want more content than that, then you already know. I have a YouTube channel. I have Instagram. I have a Twitter. I have all this stuff. <laughs> I have a lot of content. So if you want anything else, then just holler at me there too. But another note, thank you for being here and be here for next week so that we can run it back with another episode. Peace!